Today, on May 25th, 2016, I interview Professor Björn Fasterling. He's a professor of law and the head of the law faculty at a DEC business school in France. His research and publications focus on ethics and compliance management in companies, and more recently on business and human rights. Prior to joining a DEC, Professor Fasterling practiced as a German lawyer in the Berlin office of the Washington DC-based law firm Wilmer Hale. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you. Thanks to be here. So I think um, a lot of listeners would be interested in hearing why this uh, VW scandal happened at all. There's been some different theories put out there. Um, some have said that the owning families um, have too much of control in the company and they've been more interested in building an empire and maintaining prestige instead of doing the right thing. Others are saying that the relatively large ownership share by the Lower Saxony state in Germany uh, has caused that uh, the scandal because mainly the government is mainly interested in employment and not so much in corporate profits. And a few people have mentioned the fact that uh, the labor oversight in Germany, uh, the German Code Determination Act, is less effective than pure profit-based models. So do you have any thoughts on this? And basically, how could such a large legal and ethical problem arise in a company such as, you know, VW? Yeah, well, I'd like to start off with more of a general aspect that we should not confound a company's governance uh, model with the company's culture. Of right. course, so to me, the main reason why Volkswagen was not able to adequately address the issue before it was made is rather a question of culture than of governance. Okay. So to come to your, you talked about the owning families uh, that own at least the majority of uh, ordinary shares at Volkswagen. Of course, you can't exclude that the family control through the Porsche holding can be one aspect that influences corporate culture, but and perhaps leads to, as you said, too much focus on prestige and empire building. But I find it difficult actually to attribute this specific issue, namely the use of defeat devices, to the majority shareholder who essentially, presumably, had little influence over the issues, over the individual issues in question. And, and the second thing was you asked about the ownership share of, uh, of the state of Lower Saxony. Here, too, I think um, uh, the ownership share is important for the state to guarantee that Pakistan remains a major employer in Lower Saxony, but I don't see really the link between the issue we are discussing here. Right. And the fact that the lower Saxony has a sort of a veto power in okay. now the German, and then the last point you mentioned was the German Co-Determination Act. Now that, well, German Co-Determination, we can we can now spend a lot of time discussing advantages and disadvantages of uh, Co-Determination, but I think it is quite a cheap shot against this model just to, to use the mm -hmm. Co-Determination as a scapegoat for this case. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think it is directly linked to co-determination. Yeah, so you think it's more of a cultural issue, but but how could this culture then arise? Because isn't it true normally that, you know, German companies and Germans in general, I guess, not to stereotype, but I think of, are thought of as being very ethical and, you know, by the book. How could this kind of culture then arise in that company? Well, you know, I don't, I don't work in Volkswagen, so I can only, I can only repeat what, this, what you read in newspapers. And it seems what we can read is that uh, Volkswagen, a certain, that's what I read at least, a certain culture of uh, achieving targets and a certain overly focus on, on performance 
might have might have been an important cause or an important reason why engineers turned a blind eye on, on ethical issues. Mm-hmm. You know, Volkswagen had you all know this that Volkswagen had an ambitious US strategy of becoming a market leader by promoting clean and fuel efficient diesel powered vehicles in the US. So um, uh, and probably the engineers uh, were subjected to unrealistic performance targets. Right. And if you combine this, and this is maybe a, a, a new, a, well, not a new aspect, but uh, if you combine this with the entire car industry, so it seems that has gotten moved to use to lenient regulators, of course, before the scandal broke up, and uh, and being used to circumventing tests, um, I think that probably engineers thought that achieving targets was, was maybe more important than realizing their ethical blind spots. Right. But right. Both companies are not are not safe from unethical behavior. I think that right. much like any other companies in the world. Sure. Um, yeah, a lot of and a lot of competition in the car industry right now. That's for sure. So uh, back to the sort of management structure, just for a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, former chairman of the board of directors, Mr. Martin Winterkorn. Uh, Mm-hmm. has said that he didn't know of this misconduct. And I think others in the company, high up in the company, have said that they didn't know. Is that really plausible? You know, could it be they truly didn't know? Well, well first off, well, I guess Jones Day, who's doing the internal investigation at Volkswagen, they will have more information. <laughs> They're probably negotiating with mm-hmm. prosecutors. First off, it should be mentioned that the German prosecutor did not and to my knowledge, still hasn't initiated a formal investigation against okay. right. grounds for initial uh, suspicion. So, this sense, all we can do right now is trust the prosecutor who probably has better information than I do. But I would like to ask another question that hasn't been uh, hasn't been made so often so far: whether or not the chairman, the former chairman of the management board, Bitcoin, shouldn't he have been aware of major risks for the company? resulting from a seemingly routine practice of cheating. But to me, it's more interesting to, to look at the issue of breach of uh, breach of duties of care towards the company. Right. Uh, even German managers uh, also have duties of care to, to uh, not to, uh, to be informed about, about risks. And if Wintercoin says he was not informed, then he was not informed about major risk. Right. So I think that is a more interesting question. Interesting, yeah. And so what might happen if he wasn't, what could, could that then lead to personal liability on his part or, or? It could, it could. In fact, there is, a, there is a, the company, not shareholders, but the company, Volkswagen, could sue Wintercon uh, and mm-hmm. hold him liable for breaches of duty of care. Right. Yep. And, um, I think that speaks to a broader issue too, of whether one of the risks to to that company or car companies in general might be that uh, that emission standards are are getting stricter and stricter, at least in the United States and and uh, in Europe too. I think so that you know should companies, in other words, like VW and other car companies, simply shift to more you know electric kind of cars, solar powered electric, you know whatever, like you know Tesla in the United States is seeing big success right now. And isn't it a risk in and of itself to just ignore a trend like that to continue focusing on fossil fuels? Oh, well, I'm not an engineer. I don't know how far they are with the development of, uh, of electric cars and how, how much they can commercialize that. Uh, but you talked about risks, of, of regulatory risk. I think when, if, if 
Pakistan has learned one thing is that you should take uh, regulators seriously. Yeah. <laughs> underestimated the regulatory risks. Uh, right, right, yeah. It sounds like they did. Um, and so uh, somebody, seem, it seems like somebody must have known, certainly if nothing else, than the engineers that um, that implemented these systems. What, to the best of your knowledge, are the internal reporting systems in relations to issues such as these in VW? Um, for instance, are there in, any internal warning opportunities for whistleblowers? And if that's the case, why were they ignored? Oh, sure. Volkswagen, like many other big companies, they all had uh, reporting, internal reporting structures. Uh, first of all, the code of conduct that encouraged employees to report any suspected irregular behavior. Mm -hmm. There was an email to which they could voice their concerns, that they could send an email to, to, to the compliance department. They also had uh, a so-called uh, ombudsman system in right. place. Right. Uh, to me, it's seems more like the ombudsman system was rather a response to the U.S. foreign corrupt practice. Mm -hmm. So the ombudsman system consists of an external lawyer, high quality, and employees could, could um, well, speak up towards this ombudsman. And then finally, maybe also the works council uh, could have at least heard employee concerns. So reporting channels were there. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. Were they used? Well, we have the the, the Jones Day uh, investigation has revealed that there were some internal whistleblowers that didn't go very far. That didn't go okay. To the outside. Huh. That, uh, issued warnings, right. but they never threw to the top management. So uh, it seems that uh, if these channels were used, they were not effective, and probably they were not very much used. Right, huh? And you yourself has have um, once stated that internal whistleblowing systems in companies are largely ineffective. Many in the United States would agree. On a personal note, I certainly would. But why is this the case, and what could arguably be done about improving this? I mean, in companies like this, there's a lot of intelligence about these different procedures that seems to be just drowned out. Well, well you know, I wouldn't say that the whistleblowing systems are ineffective. Uh, or are always ineffective. Whistleblowing systems can be effective if they're backed up by a corporate culture that encourages Right, right. Uh, employees, generally speaking, employees tend not to blow the whistle if they risk too much and they, see, and they think that it won't, won't work anyway or it won't help anyways. Right. And is, is it also a fear of internal repercussions that you know, people fear for their jobs and so forth, and so they figure it's not their fault, which it might not be, so they just do their jobs and shut up about things because that's just the safest thing to do. If I want to be more specific about Volkswagen, is that Volkswagen generally offers pretty good conditions uh, to their uh, to their employees, so people are stick a lot to their job and they don't want to lose it. So that could be also one additional reason why uh, engineers fear of, of speaking up too much or, or fear of losing their privileged position of working. Right, right, right. Yeah. Huh. What about uh, seeing this matter from a sort of an external point of view? So from a legal point of view, why is it often not possible or realistic to notify prosecuting entities of wrongdoing such as here? For instance, wouldn't something as simple as maybe even just a letter uh, via you know whistleblower but from the government so outside to the corporate management uh, that a notification has been received might that not suffice well if the government wants to make a notification it first has to be alerted 
So right. uh, we need our whistleblower who goes, who is ready to go to the prosecutor. Yeah. But in, in, in the case of, in, in a company like Parkstone, where I guess engineers are proud and happy to be there, uh, they're, they're probably more loyal to the company than to the ethical uh, ideal, especially at the backdrop of, of the systemic issues. Right. Our industry that I mentioned before. Right. So do you think people would see that, uh, you're mentioning the ethical issue, might employees see that as being ratting on their own companies or sort of cheating on their own companies if they notified the government of potential regulatory wrongdoing? Is that why employees don't? Maybe? I, guess, I guess it would take a lot before an engineer goes, goes mm-hmm. to the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is missing maybe, I talked about ethical culture in, in companies, maybe I should be a little bit more precise on that. Uh, what I think is that companies such as Ferguson, what they would need is some kind of informal speak-up routine. So several mm-hmm. opportunities where engineers and other employees can actually voice their concerns. Right. They know that they're cheating and even an engineer. Right. how the model German engineer was proud of, of what or he or she is doing, uh, that uh, that they would like uh, like to voice these concerns through routines um, within the company. Yeah. Uh, they should feel that the company has a culture that encourages that people voice the concerns. This purely, purely, that's what I conclude from what we are seeing, is that Foxconn didn't have these speak-up routines in place. Right, right, right. What about, um, so what do you think the consequences are going to be? Uh, some f- large fines have been mentioned, at least here in this country. So if a very large fine is imposed on VW, do you think this will have a true effect on the company or might uh, monetary fines be similar to the BP Gulf oil explosion that cost the company quite a bit of money, but really not more than it could quickly recover from anyway? That's a good question. You know, that's the crux of, of fining companies. Mm-hmm. A destructively high fine, from which the company couldn't recover, will eventually harm innocent people. And so yeah. mm-hmm. well, shareholders who are losing money, suppliers, predators, actually the economy as a whole, in the case of a big company like Parkland. Mm-hmm. So the truth, and I guess it's also the truth in the U.S., is that fines can only be reasonably imposed. They mm-hmm. hurt them, they cannot destroy the company. Right. Companies well, don't do that. Right. Uh, so the fact that companies manage to deal with fines, uh, even very high ones, I, I refer to that sometimes as public resiliency. Yeah. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. Although I think the criticism is here that, you know, I, I don't have the facts or the figures before me right now, but that I think a lot of people in the U.S. were surprised at just how quickly BP recovered. So, you know what I mean? That it seems like they should maybe have given been given... I don't know, but a slightly larger fine, so it truly would feel worse, you know what I mean? Instead of just, you know, it seems sometimes like, you know, they just recovered pretty quickly uh, from it. And that the public perception then is that it might not really help anyway if they can recover that quickly. Well, well, I agree. Maybe there was one more margin. I'm, a margin. I'm, I'm not in the case that they uh, could be, could be that the fine was not high enough. Right. But again, if the fine gets too high, sure. Bring the company in severe difficulties, you're going to hurt a lot of other stakeholders and not only those who sure. yeah. cheated. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that's a difficult, it's a difficult balance to strike, I suppose. So what do you think sort of on, you know, from your own perspective, should criminal liability lie if financial pe- penalties may not be enough for somebody? Should somebody be personally liable in this respect? 
Well, yeah, uh, personal liability is uh, of management, uh, certainly, that is, we can really discuss this. And so there have been, as I said, Bitcoin is, there is no formal investigation. However, I know that German prosecutors are still investigating the case. Mm -hmm. We are being in communication with the internal investigation at the Volkswagen, but mm -hmm. without rule of individual criminal liability. And, and indeed, if prosecutors target individuals, that can have an effect. I think that is important, more generally, corporate criminal, criminality, that, that we effectively target individuals. Right. But, whereas a company is not very impressed by criminal sanctions. Right. Individuals are. Individuals, yeah. So that's something maybe where the legal system or legal framework might shift towards that to make sure some of these things don't happen again. Um, so, Bjorn, do you have any last comments or thoughts, or what do you think this is going to do for the company? Do you think they can recover? Have they recovered somewhat? Uh, what What are some of your thoughts here about the future of the company? Well, first of all, there's going to be a very uh, heavy legal aftermath. And, uh, to my knowledge, the company has set aside some money to deal with it. Uh, mm -hmm. years, I can't. I don't know if they've been confirmed around 18 billion. Mm -hmm. That's quite a lot. So the company is, is preparing itself for the legal aftermath. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this being said, Volkswagen remains uh, a very well reputed brand despite the whole affair. Right. Germany, at least. I don't know how the perception is in the US. Maybe Volkswagen has mm -hmm. a rotten perception. But in Germany, uh, I have, I, I'm being a German myself. I, I, I don't. I, I don't feel that Volkswagen is actually uh, being viewed as, as a bad company now. Right, so it hasn't suffered too much image problems in, in Germany, is what you're saying, or in Europe. Uh, I think it's, that the damage can, I'm still quite optimistic for Volkswagen, but the okay. damage can managed. Okay. Uh, even though it will be high, they're going, yeah. to have, yeah. uh, going to have large fines, they're going to have civil liability, individual managers are being prosecuted there. I think that the I mentioned that so far, but there's an interesting twist in, in in Germany. I think that the prosecutors are not only prosecuting for the fraud, but also for tax evasion. Because you know, uh, if a car gets a better classification uh, regarding its emissions, it is qualified for lower taxes in Germany. Right. But also, uh, there's also a prosecution or an investigation, at least, regarding um, aiding and abetting of, of tax evasion. Just to, just to demonstrate that the legal aftermath is quite complex. And right, very complex. For the end, I don't think I don't think that it's going to ruin Volkswagen. It's not going to destroy the company. Well, that's good, Björn. Um, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. All right, thank you. Okay, so that was pretty good. Do you have anything, any comments or anything? Are you I actually have a, uh, I actually have a quick look at the questions that you uh, that you asked to Christoph from the East, uh, so I could I can say one or two things about that if you want to. Yes, uh, say that one more time. Excuse me. Oh, I just didn't hear what it was that you wanted to say something more. Yeah, about. Questions that you wanted to ask my colleague. Oh yeah, uh, I forgot. Yeah. Okay, I've read them now very quickly. I, I think I can say something. something about it. I think with number one about how this could even happen, we covered that. And somebody must have known something about it. 
yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind if you could talk about the group risk management and methods unit where, you know, what they say on their website and so forth. That's kind of interesting. So that, that's a very easy comment that you can make there, that the coupling of corporate communication and, for, and actual corporate practice is a sad fact that it's certainly not limited to corporate. Hold on, Mark, uh, Bjorn, I don't know, are we taping? Are we recording? We are recording. Okay, so I'm just going to ask that question one more time. I didn't know that we were recording. So Bjorn, uh, VW had a group risk management and methods unit, and on its website it says we comply with the law and our values, uh, we reduce the impact of our, of our activities on the environment, and we act in sustainable manners and so forth. Do you think, has this become something that companies merely say because it's expected from them, but they actually don't take living up to these kinds of things that seriously? or? Well, I think that the discovering of corporate communication from actual corporate practice that you mentioned is a sad fact or, or an observation that we can, that we make not only limited to Volkswagen, to many companies. Uh, they do their communications to gain legitimacy or to, uh, for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, sometimes uh, they do not walk the talk, as you say. Sadly, sadly enough. So if the company says we comply with laws, I guess all com no company will say sometimes we don't. <laughs> right. uh, at the same time, and at the same time, I can hardly imagine a big company that does not violate laws once in a while. Right, that is so true. So the, even that is obviously something to take with a grain of salt. Um, so from an ethical point of view, do you think was there just too much greed involved here or or is it just unrealistic to expect that these companies can live up to promises such as those that were made? Yes, as I said before, that we have a combination of a very ambitious strategy to become a market leader in, in, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and, and that coupled with a lenient regulatory environment, that, at least that was lenient until 2015. Mm-hmm. That, as I said, that uh, that led to this kind of this kind of behavior. And mm -hmm. say about Volkswagen that they were maybe more ambitious than others, than their competitors, and also cheated, maybe cheated more than their, their competitors. That I can't tell. That we still have to see what the what the other investigations will bring up. Right, right. And just um, out of sheer curiosity, I don't know if you know the answer to this question. If you don't, that's fine. But here in the U.S., there's a lot of talk about, as we talked about a little bit before, too, about solar cars, uh, Tesla, there's other models on the market, the Leaf and so forth. What is the situation like for those in Europe? Do you see purely electrical vehicles on the roads? Is that something people are interested in or what is the market for such cars in Europe? Well, you know, the, I'm living in, I'm in Germany, but I live in France. Right. And in the city in which I live, it's Marco Barrel, it's close to Lille. Uh, the city has a policy that people who have electric cars, they can fill up it or they can load their cars in, in public. Uh, right, right. Well, same, the, same here, yeah. Ah, really. So the city is actually, uh, is actually promoting uh, electric cars. This being said, I don't see very many on the streets. Mm. They're there. Uh, but they're not a very common, uh, you don't commonly see them on the streets. Right. And that's the, yeah, that's the same here, mainly so far because they're very expensive. Um, so uh, Tesla has announced a cheaper version of one of its very expensive, successful models. Is that the same to the best of your knowledge in France or Germany or that uh, prices are falling, in other words, so like regular people can afford them more easily? Well, they don't pay, I think they don't pay much. Quite affordable electrical car. 
Okay. But but still, I think people don't see the don't see the, the, the great benefit of this. Okay. They can use that within the city, but as soon as they have to go all the way beyond, use the highway, right? Not go, so then they say, well, I can only have this car as a second car, and and for them, right. people don't have enough money, so the the market is not there yet. Okay, okay, but maybe in the future it will be. So, Björn, you said that the EPA was apparently aware of the scandal uh, before it actually broke. Do you have any more thoughts about that? What uh, What is that all about? Well, I don't, I don't know positively, but I've read that, it, that U.S. regulators have been uh, aware and discussing the emission figures with Volkswagen since May 2014, hmm. one year before the scandal broke out. So... I'd like to know what happened between May 2014 and September 2015. Yeah. My guess, but that is really just a guess, is that Volkswagen was probably a bit ungainly when it negotiated uh, with the U.S. regulators. Probably underestimated, uh, underestimated the regulators' reaction. Right, right. Yeah, that is a guess. That's It's an interesting point, and maybe one day we'll find out when the paperwork becomes uh, public. I should say I did reach out to both the EPA and to corporate management in VW, but as the um, investigations are still undergoing, they, for good reason, have both declined commenting on the matter right now. But maybe one day we'll know. Okay, good point. Bjorn, again, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Energy and Environmental Law Podcast. 